business and residential. Thanks for hanging out with us today for another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday at 11 a.m. right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. In case you didn't guess, today's topic of discussion, papers going through city council involving zoning. Welcome this week to Municipal Mania. Mania, 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 mania. This week, we have a lot to talk about. I think there's kind of a theme that you'll probably see emerge is we're talking about different kinds of zonings and different projects that are relevant to that. I think it'll be an interesting tour across the city for some zoning conversations. <laughs> are we going to ride a scooter through this tour of the city? Bird scooter? Not yet. Let's get going. So first of all, we're going to talk about a resolution that is coming forward uh, about B3 zoning. Before we kind of, Melissa gives you the rundown on what the resolution is, I just want to mention, because this sounds so dumb, but basically zoning, in case anybody is like, what are you guys talking about? We're not playing bingo. Don't worry. B3. Ooh, that's a bingo. Any kind of zoning that starts with an R, so there's a whole bunch of different ones. It stands for ravioli. Or residential. Or that. If you live in a ravioli. Hungry. Do you live in a ravioli? I don't know. (laughs) I might. And then if it's B, then that would be business district. And then on each side of things, basically there's all of these different numbers that correlate with what is allowed in that zone and what is not allowed in that zone. And these rules can be things such as how many stories a building can be, how much parking is required compared to the square footage. Really creates the landscape of, or really I would say preserves the landscape of what a part of a city or part of a county is supposed to look like. It depends on what part of the county that's in because it may not preserve nothing. Right, which is where we're here now. They destroy it. <laughs> so, Melissa, can you kind of clue us in on what is this uh, B3 zoning ordinance that was put through uh, by 9th District Councilman Michael Jones? It is to request that the Planning Commission cause to be conducted a study of all properties zoned for the B3 General Business District in the 9th Council District of the City of Richmond to determine if such properties should be rezoned to facilitate development or redevelopment of such properties. What we've learned from this particular resolution put forth by Dr. Jones is that 40% of the properties located in the 9th Council District are B3 General Business District zoned. And that's a lot. It's kind of a willy-nilly, you know, zone over there. People can put in whatever kind of businesses they want. It allows nightclubs, strip clubs, bars. So if you think about where all the strip clubs are, yep, where where all those are, it's really in the 8th and 9th districts. And so for years, it's been considered the red light district over there. Councilman Jones is trying to change that because the 9th district is changing. Mm -hmm. The space is definitely changing. And so what that really means, so 80% of all of the B3 zoning in the city is in the 8th and 9th district. That's Whoa. staggering. And what that means basically is, for example, if it's somebody- It's a free-for-all over there. <laughs> that's, the, that's the short summary, yeah. So if somebody, let's say I wanted to open up a nightclub and I wanted to put it into, I don't know, like the fan or somewhere, there's a spot on Monument Avenue, you know, I, I oh, whatever wow. it is. I mean- On top of the Lee Monument. Right. Wherever this rager is going to happen. Wherever I want to open it, basically in other parts of the city, there's only 20% of the rest of the city that would be B3, meaning that I could actually build or start this business without additional permissions of council, without the special use permit conversation, without having to have council review the plans to determine would they grant a special use permit, which is why this is so big, because there's that new off-track betting facility that's going 
going in there. Mm -hmm. Sure is. Technically, they didn't really need permission from the city because the zoning allows for it. Yep. So if it's the easiest place to open a business is in the eighth and ninth district, that just right. So if you if you have an objection to gambling in your neighborhood, you don't really have a say. Your voice isn't heard. Yeah. Respect. Because they'll hear it. They'll hear it, but ain't nothing you do about it because the zoning is open. But yeah, this would at least give the area a chance to step back and reevaluate how far they've come in the past decades and see if maybe we could uh, change things up a little bit because it is becoming more residential. If you are behind, if you go behind the main drag of Midlothian Turnpike, nothing but houses, nothing but apartments and townhomes, working class people trying to get by. And if you need a grocery store and instead there's a strip club, I mean, that that's a problem. There's groceries well, in there. And I think that, like, for me, this isn't even just about people being against having nightclubs or having um, off-track betting facilities. It's really about people having a say in their own community. Because, for example, let's all flash back to to Miss Babs. Oh. So if anybody else remembers, this was, um, they wanted to expand daycare, an existing daycare, to accommodate a few more kids. And it was affordable daycare. It was in a community. And the community was basically able to say, no, this does not fit what we have in mind for our residential area and they were able to prevent it from growing so part of it also i think is just people having a say because now we look and see the off-track betting facility and i know that councilman jones has made some inroads with people there and they're willing to have job fairs there are going to need to be things they're willing to have cameras because this is also the time for the community to be able to have an ask of the developers to say hey let's negotiate if you want this here then we need this for our community yeah you got to do this for us if you're coming in don't detract from the neighborhood make it better and so i know that people are not super enthused about the off-track betting facility as far as but the interesting thing is it's not people in the district that i've heard from that aren't enthused about it Right, it's all the people outside who feel like they need to have a say. Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> and I think it's because, though, that is, to me is just such a big show of what is problematic about this B3 zoning. We're all out here going like, whoa, whoa, whoa what, do you, what do you mean we don't have a, like, people, what, 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 what? I don't have to, they don't have to ask? What, what, what? You know, and they're probably so used to it because mm-hmm. everything just pops up. There's not well, a whole lot you can do about it. And then also the good news is that there are things like an advanced job fair. There might be improvements that legitimately come from playing nice with them. And I think that's where Mike Jones has seen how to make the best situation for his people in his district. And now, though, seeing him move forward on changing the zoning, I think that's huge. When he was here talking with us some months ago, he did mention it, that this was a major mission of his first term in office. And mm-hmm. so way to go. You here know, it is. In your second year getting it out. So good for you. So then another part that actually comes in is another property that was zoned B3. Mm. Let's all raise ourselves. Did you hear the eye roll? I mean, mm. I could actually hear our eyes roll. Mine was verbal. Mm. So this is the West Hampton property for the Bon Secours Agreement. It was the school that was part of the Redskins negotiation. Sorry, sorry. Ah, 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 ah. What did you say? No, no, no. That's not, what, that's it's not what it is. What is it called? The Washington Rachel Slurs. There you go. Make sure. Catch me. That that team in the whole agreement for their training camp 
part of this was like part of the horse trading for it. And now uh, they rezoned it to B3. They got what they wanted. They got what they wanted. And now they just recently announced they had three different community meetings, which I was surprised that they're actually doing those, by the way. I don't know if I've just come to expect so little. But... Girl, by it's in the first district. They ain't getting away with but so much. It's in the first district. Stop <laughs> so there's this three community meetings for them to propose what the selected <laughs> plan was. They apparently had 11 plans to choose from. They chose uh-huh. Tallheimer. And they chose Tallheimer, and it's going to be mixed use. There's going to be some residential. There's going to be some business, which is where you get the B3 zone and gave them really the most broad amount of options. Uh-huh. Parking deck. Residential. I want to know how much the apartment's going to cost. Those condos a quarter mile down the street are half a million dollars. I think it's interesting. I think it's a very interesting dichotomy. You have Bon Secours that is pushing for this B3 zoning, and a lot of people are very, very upset were very upset to begin with of the whole thing, but also when it was going towards B3 zoning because they knew that meant that they had their say taken away from them. Yep, and they showed up and they showed out and they were like, we want a traffic study, we want a hamburger study, we want a sidewalk study, we want a fire station study. We want all these studies, all the studies that could be studied we want them, and we're going to keep showing up until you give them to us. Well, and we want to make sure that we don't care what the cost is. We want to make sure that's preserved, yep. the school is preserved. Yep. And, I mean, my understanding is that I think that they're tearing down the 1930 portion of the building. Yes. But the part that's actually truly historic is the 1917 portion of the building. Okay. Which they're so keeping is that, is that, that the part that portion is that serves the, office space. Is that the four windows that they painted last year? Yeah, that's probably it. Probably it. I was just wondering. But when we were having the discussion, uh, when council was having the discussion before voting for the B3 zoning, they said they would endeavor to keep the entire thing intact. No, that's not what they said. They would endeavor to do the best, best. they could. They could to keep the entire thing intact. But you give them B3, they're going to turn right around and... Mm-hmm. And do what they so want. They promised also 100 jobs to people with a pretty good salary. There's supposed to be all these positive things that were part of this, mm-hmm, this training deal. camp negotiation deal that while we've been going back and forth and arguing, haven't come to fruition at all. Yeah. And it's been five years. Yeah, because they took the jobs to Hanover. And so they still do owe the 100 jobs, at least to the area. And the investment that's proposed is double the um, original proposed investment, but for me, this isn't even like we shouldn't even be super mad about council changing the zoning to B3 because I think, again, this is current council having to find some way to salvage a really, really bad deal. Poor deal made previous yeah. to them. Because mm-hmm. at this point, it's one of those things where if you look at the negotiation, Bon Secours could have just pulled out. Sure. If they didn't get the right zoning. I look at it like, for as much as we don't like this, at the same time, the issue we should be taking is still with the original deal. I don't think it should have ever gotten to this question mark. But at the same time, now we're sitting here five years out. Trying to make piecemeal out of what we've got left to make it work. At the same time, I also think about how long a lot of different communities have had say over how their area grows and expands and looks. And to rezone one property to be B3 and I mean, a developer actually coming out with plans after that and presenting them to the community and still trying to get a buy-in of their voice, even then, it's a difference to me of what is truly happening to a community is what happens in the 8th and ninth District where there is no say whatsoever. Mm-mm. And it creates a perception of the Red Light District, mm-hmm. which is a damaging perception. Yeah, it's a free-for-all over there. You can go over there and do what you want to do. For so many reasons and yeah. problematic. And then on the other hand, you know, one property gets rezoned to B3 and it's, I just wish that we reacted like like that all across the city 
and we should have been doing that for so much longer because now you think about the history that has been lost. It's it's selective history that's been preserved. And this was a piece of that selected history that I'm frankly surprised was still there, to be honest. I think it's just interesting that these two issues come together at the same time. Hmm. And it's going to change the landscape of, of that area. And that was part of a lot of the argument and discussion that was happening that night at council. You know, that's a intersection that's already really busy. I drive it every single day and it's already pretty hectic and people are running into the back of each other. And then you talk about putting B3 right there. Businesses, a school, maybe. Yeah, there's there's two lanes going in, in both No need directions. for permits, really. No, Especially use permits. No need for extra reviews. No, it's just have at, have at it. So yeah, that I can understand. I think like everybody's concerned in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely important as we have other issues that come up, for example, Westwood Tract. And when people say, well, we're not trying to be NIMBY okay, well. and get upset because I've had people get upset in our DMs about me calling the entire Westwood Tract situation the canopy NIMBY. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. I get and it, too. I've got pointing out the the racial dog whistle racist comments that uh, are said in those discussions. You know, these are the moments where you come back and look and say, you know what, you've had a say. You're up here fighting for you to retain your area and what it's like. You have the ability to fight to retain it mm-hmm. because of the zoning. That in and of itself, to me, is a privilege and that people notice that as soon as either it's overlooked or because i think in the westwood track situation it's allegedly council made a mistake on the zoning yeah way back in the 50s now it's like well the protections that we thought and when we agreed to the plans there's some like questionability on these things around the zonings you have the privilege of having those zonings in place because had this been the eighth or ninth there wouldn't have been an ability for a lawsuit or even a question of a lawsuit there wouldn't have been a conversation about it and so i I just think it's kind of taking that step back you know when we talk about nimby discussions i think part of it also comes down to things like this of where are the zonings in the city that people do overlook that that is a privilege to have the ability to fight for your neighborhood speaking of other things that people hate oh gosh <laughs> stone brewing so not another there we go but you know the way they uh promote this stuff you'd think that everybody in richmond loves stone brewing what could possibly be the problem here whatever i you know what i'm gonna <laughs> have state i'm state my opinion from we all knew secretly deep down we all knew this was where we were going to end up with this nonsense when it first started we knew we all knew I know it was you, Fredo. We all knew. The Stone Brewing paper is on regular agenda, and it's awaiting amendment, and it's continued to uh, October 8th. Um, and this is so that they can, you know, amend the original agreement so that Stone can tear down the intermediate terminal building. And in this is Fulton, something that... the greater Fulton area. That they is, intended to do in the first day in place, but okay, girl. <laughs> this is something that has been continued for almost two months, I feel like. So obviously there's nothing that happens in August, so it was just kind of pushed through there. It was continued last council meeting, so that would have been early September. And I want to say it was continued in July, too, so we're going back to June, July timeframe. Yeah, because in August is when the Virginia Department of Historic Resources deemed the building ineligible yeah. for National Register of Historic Places. And so that's when Stoney came out, our mayor, and voiced his support for demoing the terminal building to make way for a bistro with 700 seats, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't that just negate the whole bistro feeling here can we just stop calling things bistros and cafes I mean, if you're trying like to put a stadium Parisian in it bistro like those are kind of big i think not really no no, no you can sit on the sidewalk with 700 people sipping your your cafe Olay. francesca has no comment <laughs> <laughs> This building actually means a lot to the greater Fulton neighborhood because it employed a lot 
of residents there back in the 30s before the neighborhood was destroyed by the city and flooding. But again, it's another building from the 30s that people aren't considering historic. Well, and I think the reason... Was this on the wrong side of history, girl? Well, and if I remember, the reason they said it wasn't historic was because much of the landscape has... A lot of the other buildings that were around it had been torn down already. torn down, yeah. So don't worry about saving this one. Right. Right. Why does that make it it okay? I mean, and I think, though, like, when we go back and think about... My bigger issue is... Just erasing that entire part of their history. I would like to have a pretty big discussion, and not us necessarily, but I'm saying, like, in the bigger format, if we're going to accept this and say, hey, because we've torn down already, um, like, 70% or whatever it is of the history here... Don't bother keeping it. Don't bother keeping it. Then I would like to also go back and look at, you know, other parts of history that have been majorly already torn down. Like, for example, we still have 17th Street Marketplace. I went to a community input session recently for the Devil's Half Acre Project, and I thought it was interesting that they said there could be as many as 50 slave auction sites in the Shaka Bottom area. Most people only think of the one area. They mm-hmm. only think of Devil's Half Acre area. They think of the jail that was there. They don't think this was not just a one little area thing. This was the entire Shaka Bottom area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all up and down and the river. At the same time, we're put, we push forward with the pulse that stops down in Chaco. You have 17th Street Marketplace that is completely redoing part of the area down there. You have the, the main street train station there that's been redone. For as much as we want to say that we want to preserve history and we're losing this battle on one, I think we need to look at lessons learned. We need to look at the other places of the city that we've continued time and time and time again because it shouldn't just be a question of when someone wants to develop it because that's inevitable. This needs to be something that we're addressing because we're going to continue to lose our history for reasons like this. Right, because we can't annex any of the counties around us so we have a finite space in Richmond and developers are going to be looking for any little acreage they can get their grubby little hands on yeah look at north side and if we don't identify the places that truly mean something in the city and preserve them like now like yesterday we're screwed it's it's done it's over so here's the issue though you have to make people care about those areas right so the that's why we're that's why we have 95 on top of <laughs> what it's on top of and and so many areas the of crushed dreams of yeah. black families you have people you have people that are you know coming from out of town looking for lumpkins jail and all these places and they are a gps coordinate on a map because they've been destroyed that was like i'm glad you kind of went there because that that was probably one of the one of the worst moments of conversation that I've had to have. My mom and I were going down and we, it was a Sunday. We went out to get food. We went to a couple different places and we, I decided we went to the Valentine and then we ended up going down to Devil's Half Acre because she'd never been there. And as we're walking down there and you know, I, I know kind of where it is because I've accidentally stumbled on it before because I, I was like walking past Stumb- it. Stumbled on the marker. Yeah. Like I was like, what is this big area that's open with this green patch in the middle of a parking lot like what or you can barely see um, um, sometimes freeze um altar that she's put up there yeah the ancestors occasionally you can see that so i was coming from a different part of it because i wasn't coming from the 95 side of it i was coming from the shaco area and as we were walking we uh, my mom and i encountered there's a, a car that stopped and it was two elderly one black woman that was driving and a black man that was in the passenger seat and they asked me where lumpkin's jail was and I was pretty sure I knew where exactly where I was. I'm pretty sure it's right around this corner here. But you're sitting there without being able to see it. There's a building blocking you from where I was standing where I'm like, I can't physically see it, but I'm pretty sure this is the parking lot. And I was explaining to them, it's right over here. And the, they kind of looked at me like I was had lost my mind, yeah, honestly. Yeah, it's a convenience store right I'm like, there. it's right here. It's this parking lot. There's, It's the grassy area that is there. And 
the guy was like what are you talking about mm-hmm. and the woman in the driver's seat was like well she said he says that it's um this building and he points to this building this brick building that's he's like i, I it's this right it's right here no oh, it no longer exists it, it got torn down less than five years after the civil war ended and it's, it was paved over for so many years mm-hmm. by and you know still PCU. and still is because a lot of it they actually think that where they ha- when they started doing the excavation at devil's half acre where it's currently at they realized that much of it they actually think is physically under 95 mm-hmm. and it's under 95 so because they haven't been able to bring a lot of artifacts out because the stuff they were finding there was from later on they think it was part of the property but they think the actual physical true location of devil's half acre is under underneath, 95 it's and underneath there's the that's it and there's nothing you can do now already i was having the conversation with my mom because she was like why hasn't this been preserved more preserved or preserved at all and i'm having to explain to her and talk to her about having this moment of reality check because as soon as people start talking about well we have to have vcu give up this land or these this property has to be handed over and this has to happen and this and dollars start coming into it it doesn't happen and she it was just to sit there and say because to your point family people have to care and it is absolutely heartbreaking to have to and just looking in their eyes of seeing how deflated and just how i think hurt and frustrated because you could tell i mean these are people that are coming from out of town and mm-hmm. and they they've can, read somebody's book and they've looked at somebody's historical they you watched know, 12 years a slave yeah and they're like oh i know where this is this is in virginia let's stop through there on our way there and you ride down a whole monument avenue looking at white men on horses come through there's huge you know museums dedicated to the civil war and all these fancy things in virginia that are historically preserved to show the history and the heritage heritage not hate that they want to preserve and then you get to something as important to the history of black people in this area but not only in this area in this country and it's not there and there's nothing other than a plaque at least us white folk can go to ellis island i mean i'm just saying like that's that's the type of stuff so it's not necessarily about the act of preserving we have to get to the point where people even care to preserve it that's that's step number one so stone brewing tearing this building down I just hope that we... Who's like, surprised? I'm not... Yeah. Like, everybody should have known, honestly. And I get that people have alleged the best of intentions, but at the end of the day, we need to take this as a lesson, a, bi- a much bigger lesson no, of this, until we get serious. Let's, br- let's break this down. This is bigger than just that. This is bigger than just historical monuments being torn down. This is about who's got the money and who's coming in to bring in what you think is going to be development to help, I, I don't know, a certain group of people. And... You stomp over everybody else. Look at the deal that Stone Brewing got to get, one, get this damn building, but two, open here for some, they can buy it back. It's it's just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's just ridiculous. So all of that got stumped on so that they can tear this building down, do what they want to do with it, open a business that c- clearly you knew. If you, let me tell you something. Let me tell you, let me tell you something. Let me show you. Of the n- numerous businesses I've been associated with in starting, you know, when you start out, if I plan to go build a house, I know I can't use Tonka toys from Toys R Us to build a house. I need the real stuff. So if I know that I want to build a 700 street bistro with floor to ceiling glass windows, <laughs> if you're a developer and you don't know that that's going to require a certain type of infrastructure in a building, and it takes for you to get this far in the process, you don't need to be renovating no damn building. That's the other thing. Is where I'm, I'm like, saying. I don't see why this becomes our problem that you guys bought something that doesn't work for you. 
Yeah. Because you didn't intend for it to work for you. Right. You intended to have your way with Richmond's Well, because city council monument. has a history of rolling over for developers. That's what they do. And just like last week's episode where we talk about the pattern that just keeps repeating, mm-hmm. we are in a hamster wheel mm-hmm. here developmentally. And, and I think before we go on Richmond. to like the next topic, I think there is kind of another mental ear tag or earmark or whatever I want to say it here it is thinking also about the Department of Historic Resources and all of the different historic districts, because this is another thing, is it's an interesting place of... For on one hand, we need to preserve history and we need to preserve all of the things that are still left or find ways to bring out what has been paved over literally and hidden for so many years. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, I think that we can't overlook having people in a community because one of the big things and arguments I heard in the discussion about Blackwell and the Blackwell Historic District was you have developers that are coming in and saying, do you want your community to look like it did forever? Because your options right now are, and this is like literally how it was put by one of the developers there, Mm. was your options are either historic tax credits to allow people to come in and give them an incentive to preserve how your neighborhood looks. And jack the prices up and gentrify the neighborhood and kick all the old black people out. Or we're still going to have that problem of people of, of property values going up, mm-hmm. but we're going to raise and bulldoze all of it and build new development. And those are the two choices. And I think that, you know, what I heard from those community meetings was that what a neighborhood, what a neighborhood physically looks like as far as buildings, if it doesn't have the people there mm-hmm. that it were what matter. made the community, it doesn't matter. No. And I think that we can't just say, hey, we need historic tax credits. Hey, we need this. We need that. Because it's not just that. It's asking the community, and this is where you have the community benefits agreements, where developers need to be having agreements with communities of how does this make this better. But also this stuff needs to be really, truly listening and coming organically from a community and taking voices from the community seriously. Because at this point, you have council that has constantly just picks in, in favor of developers time and time and time Rolls again. Rolls over. And at the same time, what, what, what position are you putting people in when you're not having people come from the community? Oh boy, you sure are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. on to the next part that will maybe be a little bit before our heads implode yeah, you know kind of pause here really quick talk about the scooters 
Oh, fun. Not my dog, the kind that you ride. <laughs> so, Melissa, what's this, like, scooter legislation? Oh, I don't actually have it pulled up. Oh, that's fine. Oops. So, um, long story short here is yeah. these uh, bird scooters. <laughs> is the bird scooters um, are not operating legally in the city, but because they are impeding on the right of way because they're just on the sidewalk. Yeah. And there's been a lot of back and forth about um, should we allow them and uh, – they keep dropping more scooters as recently as this past Friday, I believe. So on Monday at Council, Stoney will have presented a introduced a new ordinance legislation that would allow these type of uh, programs. So bird scooters or lime bikes would be another one that's their competitor. Basically, they would be able to get permitted in the city. And there'd be some regulations around where they could put them and how they could set them up. But the permitting would be based on how many vehicles are within their fleet that they're going to have out there, which basically just means like, hey, they're going to have to pay money like every other business in this city does. Yeah. Um, but it would actually make them legal to be in the city and used. Woo! Oh my gosh, I, I, I want to fly down. So they'll, they'll be in the compliance hill. actually now. Yeah. Fly like a bird. I want to fly away. I'm so over bird, honestly. (laughs) Like, I am, like, so done. You're done? You're over it? So, you know, I appreciated the idea, the kind of the spirit of, like, do some ad hoc drops. Yeah. And gather data that you need, because I appreciate the need for data when you're doing a proposal. Mm -hmm. But then taking this turn to where still, even though this legislation is being presented tomorrow. They're still breaking the law. Well, they're dropping more and on the top of the app and sending out emails that say don't ban bird enrichment. They're shaming Richmond. Literally (laughs) nobody, like they're telling people to email their council people and stuff. Like don't let them ban it. It's like they're literally trying to find legislation to make this work for you guys. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to stir this up and frame it as like, oh, well, we're doing something illegal and they're trying to ban us from doing something that was illegal to begin with. But it's so much fun. So fight for us. And I'm like, this whole time, this city's been willing to help you. And for me, I think it just rubs me the wrong way. All it feels to me, like, again, Stone Brewing was an out-of-state company that, you know, when they come in, I have so many questions for this whole hurricane thing, Hurricane Florence. I was tweeting about it. Who is supposed to take those scooters in for a hurricane? So they don't go flying through somebody's windshield. And, and if if one of them does, say, go flying through somebody's windshield, because if we saw even some of those tornadoes. Yeah, they flip cars. They'll take a bird scooter and right. slam it through your window, your who's, house window. Whose liability is that? Because there's nothing stopping that. Right. Yeah. I've also heard, I know that there's some stuff in the ordinance about they have to provide maintenance and stuff, but I've also seen on Craigslist where Bird has been advertising for mechanics. So it's like independent contractor mechanics based on hours to fix it. Oh, no. And I'm just like, okay, but. <laughs> oh, but, no. But who's going to like, regulate this? Right. I don't trust any of this because they don't have an investment in our city whatsoever. They don't even and, have an investment in your safety, girl. No. Hey, Lime oh, Bike, no. you want to slide and, in here and do this the right way? Right. And I just, like, you know, especially with how they have been posing this whole thing with the city, we're trying to work with you. I don't see where you guys are actually making any effort. Mm-mm. And as a millennial, I'm going to be able to say this, FYI, it is the most millennial thing to do. It is. It is. Of, of the sense of entitlement that it they is. have, and it, it just is. irritates me. I'm so glad that you as a millennial said that, so me and my Gen X ass didn't have to like, say that so and entitled. sound like a old fuddy-duddy. These are the moments where I want to scream, I'm like, this is why people hate us. It is. <laughs> this is why. Like, this sense of entitlement. Rolling around on your illegal scooter. bird scooters with your avocado toast. <laughs> ah! Hey, hey, hey. 
<laughs> Stay off nope. of my avocados. I have. A, I don't um, understand the millennial love of avocados. I have a pair of underwear from Victoria's Secret that has avocados on it. <laughs> I was with you when you bought them. I think I can't. That's the one pair of leggings you'll never see me own. Avocado leggings. Love a good nope. Why you hate no avocados? Because that texture is like ow. It's fire. <sighs> They have different textures. It's they not. do have different textures. Yeah, yeah, the, so the you got fresh get ones. It. Yeah, like, it's not. I like it when they're a little hard, but they also get kind of creamy when you start stirring it. I think stuff. it's really cute. You guys are trying to convince me to like avocados. It's Come not going to happen. Remember, I'm ancient and set in my ways. No. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. 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 Hell no. Okay, fine. But anyway, avocados so, are fire. They're life. So another part of things that are coming is there's apparently going to be a top golf. I don't know if anybody has anybody yeah. played top golf. Wait, this is going this is some new stuff. Like I I'm so I'm this a is, little like whoa. This is technically Henrico. It's just a skip over the line onto Westwood Avenue right outside well, duh. of the entertainment mecca that is becoming Scott's Edition or mm-hmm. that Scott's Edition is becoming and it's on the Pulse line. Of course it is. It's going to be three stories. 55,000 square feet of golfing pleasure. Yeah, it's so if, anybody, golf. if anybody doesn't know what Top Golf is, basically, it's um, honestly, I love it. It is fun. I've gone to two in Northern Virginia, and they have GPS tracking in the balls. So instead of a normal driving range where you just are kind of hitting balls, you're actually supposed to be playing a game with people. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a setup where if you've been to Uptown Alley down in Chesterfield where you have the bowling lanes and people bring you food and you have servers and stuff, same concept at um, Topgolf mm-hmm. to where they actually have it. It's open air, um, the mm-hmm. ones I've been to, to where it's outside, but it's all heated so you can be out there in the winter. In the wintertime. They bring yep. you food and you're basically trying to hit – your golf ball to just different targets mm-hmm. and the GPS tracking of the golf ball. So it's kind of, it's, it's honestly, I've played like as a team working out event once mm-hmm. and then also with my family, it was a little bit more fun than just a driving range Yeah, to where it's definitely. Cause um, there's the convenience of food and heat and yeah. Stuff. And there's no golf cart. Though. They bring you alcohol so you can hang out kind of in the area sitting down. Not everybody has to play. You can rotate through, but I'm just sitting here like it's at Westwood and broad on the poles, which by the way, they recently expanded GRTC to go from Mobile On to Short Pump now. So FYI. I think we need to take a, a dirt field trip. So just to yeah. see how long the ride is. And so yeah, well, it's not the Pulse that's extending. It's no, no, just no, but a, it's just GRTC. It's just a GRTC. Route yeah. 19, by the way, you guys. But like Route 19 will take you from Willow Lawn to Short Pump now. It might this... take you four hours to get there, but you're still getting there. <laughs> I just want to know but how like, long it's going to take. You know, I think there's definitely an upside of jobs, but I think this also that we have to think about is, um, or just remember rather is remember out in short pump i wrote about it like a year or so ago there's this whole area that's advertising itself as an urban development in the suburbs yes oh yes Yes. oh my god and they actually have they have a mellow mushroom out there they're advertising themselves as having transit and it's all the way out in short pump like far short pump almost goochland pass it's well past the mall they have um vcu health has a huge facility out there mm-hmm. they have Kerrytown bicycle they have the daily so they're actively prospecting restaurants from the city to open up in short pump mm-hmm. and are advertising this basically as hey all of the good city stuff none of the crime also great schools heads the up. fan 2.0 yeah and yeah. they're stupid <laughs> expensive like there's stupid expensive condos that are like three hundred thousand plus yep but also you think about, okay, so now we're, good news, yay, positive GRTC out there. But you have to also think about, I think, people's motivations. Uh-huh. 
And I just, going back, I was surprised that Top Golf was going where it is just because of basic space. The ones I've been to are huge. Yeah. But then also, Fran and I today were at the Tang and Biscuits place where there's shuffleboard yep. in Scott's and, edition. And tots. The tots were good, though. But again, talking about what is urban sprawl and how it is gentrification impact an area. Mm-hmm. There's also an article that came up recently that said Scott's edition is one of the top places for millennial growth. Huh. Going back to millennial entitlement huh. um, and huh. things that we want. So that's great. All these wonderful things happening around Scott's edition. What happened to the boulevard? Right. That's the other thing is where's the boulevard development? Right. What happened to that VCU um, I mean, after, agreement for the diamond? Right. After Stoney was elected, it just went. Huh. Like I don't like it disappeared because that's the my ether. other thing is like why why aren't we having Top Golf on the Boulevard? Because huh. that's the other part. Originally when you said Westwood, I was thinking like over by Boulevard. Mm-mm. No, it's just over like going towards Willow Lawn. Mm-hmm. And so there there's location, the opportunity location koi pond right. <laughs> there's there's this opportunity over there to redevelop that whole area into a sports and entertainment complex that would be fantastic, right? Right off the interstate. Mm-hmm. No, but no developers taking it on yet. But I'm like it's coming. Saying, like, They're getting a Wawa, y'all. It's coming. Well, I, know, but I mean, I'm saying, I am like, not I think... going to turn my nose up at that Wawa. No mm-hmm. Pogi but, Fest, y'all. You know, to me, like Top Golf or something like that could have been a cornerstone yep. of that development. Sure. And now you now we have to go into Henrico and give them our dollars. No, they they're. I'll it's... go to Alexandria for just kidding. Listen, <laughs> just one. <laughs> One, <laughs> one, one sports complex renewal at a time. Right now, we're concentrated on giving all of our coins to the Coliseum. Not going to work on oh, the ball diamond right now because we can't find anybody that's willing to throw their name at it and a little bit of money. So and we we're got to wait. Well, because you know the Coliseum. And while is we're really at important. it, throw that in too because Arthur Ashe that that redevelopment got trashed. So, well, it's okay. So actually, no, they're, 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 they pushed back the name, renaming the boulevard to Arthur Ashe. I think Kim Gray had to have a meeting. Oh, no. Oh, mm-hmm. oh I thought you were talking about and then um, redoing on, the building. Yeah. And gonna, then on top of it. They're going to redo the building. No, they're not. They're not going to so, do it. They're not going to. That's why I said they, so, they yeah. trashed so, it. They're not going to do that. So what they're doing, though, is that there was originally a vote on, um, so Arthur Ashe, they were going to completely redo the center. Mm-hmm. And it's owned by RPS. Mm-hmm. And, um. Originally, they were saying they're like, do we? How much do we use this? And mm-hmm. also, can we get money from the community partners that also use it? It so- was totally a track issue, indoor track. That's what I always went there for, indoor track and big funerals, big well, big funerals. And that's also where games are for some of like mm-hmm. the tournaments and stuff. Yeah. There's a handful of things, but so, um, yeah, yeah. They um, ended up deciding to do at one point was the proposal was to just replace the worst of the worst while they figure out as part of the boulevard development what to do with it but i think that they actually pushed it back the school board didn't vote on it i guess i don't, I don't remember what it was they needed more information yeah um because it's on pause i just told Don you page said that they needed more information yeah they put it on pause and yeah. camera said that the kids don't really use it but about a dozen times a year well why do you think they don't use it more than a dozen times it's ra- a year it's raggedy right it was a raggedy but when i, I was here in richmond but i think school. that their point is also if they are building new buildings mm-hmm. and they're trying to build a high school and stuff like that it, is it going to be better if that's part of a boulevard development? Is it already going to be packaged in and part of a sale? Hey, that's fine. And is there? But so why invest? Because it was something like one point two million dollars that they were trying to put in there, and yeah. if they're going to end up just turning around and selling it in a year or so. You know, let's repair what it is, but then take half of that money and then reinvest into other schools that have still the moldy stuff. 
Right, so are they going to name one of those schools Arthur? There we go again, taking away the, huh? Are well, they I'm gonna, just. Are they going to name one of those schools Arthur Ashe? So, <laughs> I think, honestly, I think that that's why they're trying to rename Arthur Ashe, I mean, the Boulevard, Arthur Ashe Boulevard, in my opinion. So it's coming. Okay. Fine. I think that that's why Kim, everybody's trying to say, like, let's call the Boulevard this, because I think so that, that they know that the future of this, yeah. of this building. I got it. I got, I hear you. I'm just yeah. saying. No, I know. I, I'm just saying, I think, I think this is all very intentional, because I think that, they know that this is going to be grouped up into something. Into something else, yeah, because they know. They know it's on the back, it's on the back burner, and they so no boulevard development. I know. Right I, I mean, I think that all of this kind of like let's go into our last topic here. Um, kind of wraps into all everything we've talked about right now. So we've talked about B three zoning, which is business zoning. We've talked about West Hampton. We talked about Stone Brewing. We've talked about scooters and Top Golf and, gonna, and the ready? boulevard. Is this going into gentrification? You know, we've only talked about business and, you know, all of these positive things. Hey, we have these new businesses. We still have an affordable housing crisis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have one. We're going to continue to have one. Yeah. So there was legislation that Ellen Robertson, the 6th District Councilwoman, submitted in 2017 mm-hmm. that directed the CAO to basically develop a process and procedure and all of that good stuff to where anybody getting city benefits mm-hmm. that was a developer for residential had to have 10% affordable housing. Um, that thing got continued for like an entire freaking year. Mm-hmm. And now Melissa noticed that there is new legislation that just got introduced to council. Yep, it sure did. Now it's been continued. Because uh, it's a committee first. I think that's right. Yet. Yeah. A little bit different. It's a little different. So uh, what it's going to do is establish a policy of the council that council will not consider any ordinance authorizing the execution of any agreement facilitating a development or project that includes a residential component and that involves the conveyance of an interest in city-owned real estate, the expenditure of city funds, in-kind donations from the city, or a tax credit or exemption without a contractual obligation that a minimum percentage of the developments or projects total residential units be reserved for affordable housing. So, hey, that's nice. So, but it's still not enough. But that's nice. I mean, you know, I think there's a couple legislations, and there's actually someone on Twitter that has been actually, I meant to like go back and reread that. Um, that I'm just like remembered Alexander Winston, shout out if you're listening, I don't know, has been um, doing a lot of research lately on some of the resolutions that uh, Kim Gray, second district councilwoman, put forth regarding deferring real estate taxes that at face value sound really good and they're going to help people but the research that he's put in it shows that it, you know first of all home ownership is one thing of who that helps mm-hmm. it helps kind of that middle tier of people at best um or more of an upper income when you think about the relative spectrum of people because you have differences of renters versus home ownership but then also looking at the places that this was going to benefit were really more in the concentrated more wealthy or even at least middle to high income bottom line whiter parts of town Mm-hmm. versus where most of us would think of saying, at least most of us sitting here in this room mm-hmm. would think, I think all of us would say, hey, this is not necessarily who we're concerned about when we say the rising property taxes. Because mm-hmm. um, what Kim Gray's resolution would do is basically defer property tax if your increase on your assessment is over 10% any given year. And the places that are increasing that much are more wealthy, affluent, and white neighborhoods. To me, I draw this as like a parallel with the affordable housing side of things because the definition at which we use affordable housing, it's not true poverty. Mm-hmm. And I think that my concern when we talk about 
and say, hey, we have this affordable housing rule. That's great, but it doesn't go far enough Mm -hmm. because it does help some people. But I think what worries me is saying, hey, we got this much X percentage affordable housing. But because affordable housing does have a very specific defined term, Mm -hmm. which there's reasons for it. I don't disagree with the reasons for why it's there. But I think that it can make us all feel falsely good to say, hey, we've checked off this affordable housing requirement. Not. When the big question is still, what are we doing with public housing? Mm -hmm. And in a city where I know there's been a move last summer to go towards vouchers with those properties, um, which is problematic in and of itself, which comes in play into with things of like affordable housing and yeah. various income levels and the the diaspora of people that, that would really create. Mm-hmm. For me, it's a good start, but we can't let the terminology let us be complacent or feel like we are, are, are good on our job of we need to do more. Because I, I was at that Blackwell Historic District meeting and somebody mentioned hey, we have this apartment building that's bringing X amount of affordable housing units. And when you go and look at it, it's not unreasonably priced, but, you know, I think... It's still not affordable. So what, what, what do you guys think of number-wise? If you had to put a number on a two-bedroom apartment of a dollar amount, not including utilities, what would it be that would consider affordable? Two-bedroom, two-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-bathroom, two-bedroom, one-bathroom. Uh, just two-bedroom uh, one either bathroom, way. Yeah. One, whatever it is, just two-bedroom. Two-bedroom, one-bathroom. I think affordable... You know, not including utilities, eight hundred dollars is more than enough. Yeah, I would say between seven twenty-five and yeah, and eight twenty-five. That's that's where I'm at too. I'm at, I'm at, but right it, that, that ain't that ain't the price. No, no. Oh, like God, I would no. think five, to, I would think five six hundred for a one bedroom, mm-hmm. eight hundred for a two bedroom. No, it's it's like twelve hundred to fourteen hundred. Yeah, it's like eight hundred to nine hundred for one bedroom, twelve to fifteen hundred yeah. for two bedroom, eighteen hundred to twenty one for three bedroom. I mean, and that's affordable housing, blowing, right? And that technically qualifies in that ten percent. So you know, I who, but the issue is who is that affordable to? Right, and I think that that's where you know we can't look at this as this is a piece, and that's also how I feel about the Better Housing Coalition does great work and moving people towards home ownership, but not everybody, and also all of the arguments against the homeless shelter in Manchester. We're all focused on, well, let's get people into houses. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with any of that, but I, it can't be the only answer. No, because not everybody's ready for home ownership. Right. Not everybody wants it. No. Right. That's true. I mean, and, and again, you still have to have helping out people that are in public housing. Like We can't just say affordable housing like that is the same thing. Mm-hmm. I, I know people also have a tendency to feel like if we fix and address public housing or if we fix and address people in poverty, that it's it still also misses people who are working poor girl that's a big that's a a big old Mm -hmm. chunk of people i've actually just taken issue with saying affordable housing because i think it just gets us to be and us being activists in general and people that are involved Mm -hmm. in discussion it allows us for some of us the privilege to be complacent and say well we checked the box of affordable housing we didn't even come close oh no we didn't even come close and the fact that it's a minimum of 10 percent like is it this is going to be an ongoing issue like 10%? Are you kidding me? This is going to be an ongoing issue for a while, as long as there are tax abatements and... <laughs> well, this is a major point of contention with the whole North of Broad development as well that encompasses the Coliseum. Which they ended yeah. up raising it. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like that was a false negotiation. Right. But mm-hmm. To me, all of these things that we keep talking about, and Melissa kind of touched on it earlier, and I actually I was at a forum for the 7th District School Board, and Donald McKeachin was talking about this. Hey, Donald. To be blunt, 
the way that Richmond needs to fix some of its problems is that we need to come together and the next time it comes up for renewal in the General Assembly, our annexation power, we need to take it back. Huh. So in the 70s, we were before the 70s, we were allowed to annex. And frankly, we were doing it maliciously oh. to mm-hmm. create, um, to basically just like bring in white people from the counties to dilute black voices. Mm-hmm. And so we got the uh, ability to annex revoked. <laughs> Not even mad about that. Which like should have. Should have. But now, whereas we could be using that power as political weight Mm -hmm. to force, frankly, Chesterfield especially, and Henrico has been doing it more so and been more willing to do it, work Mm -hmm. with us. If you see things like GRTC expanding, but Mm -hmm. also then you wonder about those development motives, but whatever. Mm. They're still willing to do something that's going to benefit us, and I'm willing to horse trade if there is a benefit. Chesterfield owns 50% of GRTC. How many times do we have to say this? And, you know, Mm. it says it on their website blatantly. The Board of of Chesterfield, Board of Supervisors for Chesterfield, owns 50% of GRTC, which owns the other 50%. How many bus stops are in Chesterfield? Mm. There's one, and it's paid for by Centura College. And and it stops at Centura College, and they literally aren't allowed to stop anywhere else on the right-of-way on the way to Centura College. So it literally drops people off and comes back. To me, having that annexation power, hey, guys, we're, we're worried about where is the uh, top golf can annex that. Yeah, and we can stop maybe worrying so much about, you know, destroying the landmarks that we have not preserved yet. Because that's another piece with, like, this whole even building the schools locked thing. in. But at the same time, I also wonder if anybody would ever listen to us and say, yes, we're going to grant you your ability to annex back. Until the day we fulfill our promises to the places we already to annexed, the place we annex because we promise infrastructure, we promise sidewalks, we and every time keep... it rains, those storm drains overflow in Southside. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's bad. All right. Well, that has been a fun discussion, I think, on zoning, um, some relevant things, and I think just having a general conversation of contextualizing some of it. Within a bigger discussion, um, there's a ton of stuff out there right now that maybe we're going to be able to act on before the end of the year. Maybe. 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 Um, if things don't just keep getting continued. And con- there's some short council meetings, which I'm not even mad about. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to cry over short council meetings, but it, it always makes us feel good when things happen and work gets done. Yeah. And it's yeah. not just a endless cycle of continuances because it really does feel like that. Mm-hmm. It has, honestly, for the past year or so. Yeah. So, anyway, I hope uh, everyone has a comes away with a little more knowledge here and is prepared for the upcoming semester <laughs> of City Council. Yeah, we're into the last quarter of the year. Here we go. So it's time to get it in. Actually, we're not. Actually, it's not October yet, is it? No, no, it's coming. We're about to trip fall. into October. The here. first, the first day of fall was yesterday, so we're we're moving at fast breakneck speed into the last quarter. Yesterday being Saturday. We're, Buckle we're up, everybody! Mm-hmm. So excited! It's coming. All right. Areas well, in Southside still don't have sidewalks. RPS is still not fully funded. Flint still has dirty water, and Richmond still races. Boom. Good night. Thank you for listening to another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard every Wednesday right here at 11 a.m. on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. We hope you walk away from this episode more in the zone. If you want to talk about this episode or 
any municipal government topic, hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt. Until next time, friends, stay classy, Richmond, and stay involved. Welcome to The V Word, using the airwaves to educate and advocate to end sexual and domestic violence. And you've been hearing a lot about the charge against Bill Cosby for sexually assaulting numerous women. The question I've been hearing the most is, why did they wait so long to report? The reality is that many survivors of sexual assault wait to report. They can wait several days or wait years. And statistics show that 60% of rapes are not even reported to the police. There are many reasons why survivors do not feel safe to report immediately. The Sexual Assault Victim Advocacy Center has posted information on reasons why. The survivor may feel that she or he is to blame for what happened, and our society continues to blame survivors of rape and abuse. The survivor may feel embarrassed about what happened, a dynamic that continues to be fed through our society that victims should be able to control the perpetrator. The survivor may feel that the justice system is uncooperative, inefficient, or victim-blaming. And it often is. The survivor may not want the perpetrator to get in trouble. Most perpetrators are known to the survivor, and society still gives the message that it is the perpetrator's life not to be ruined. The survivor may not want his or her family to find out. The survivor may not recognize that he or she was raped. Our society gives many false messages about what rape is. The survivor may have been threatened by the perpetrator, threats to hurt her or him, threats to hurt loved ones, or threats against their career. The survivor may feel retaliation by the perpetrator, the survivor may fear that she or he will not be believed, and it is obvious survivors are not always believed. The survivor may have already had a bad experience with the police. The survivor may know someone who has reported and has had a bad experience with the police. The survivor's friends and or family may not support reporting. The survivor's friends and or family are telling the victim it was not rape. There may be cultural considerations that lead the survivor to avoid the police at all costs. All of these are really important reasons why survivors don't report. What can you do? As a friend, a loved one, a partner, a family member, you can encourage the person to report. You can encourage the person to go to the hospital and get evidence collected. You can help the person walk through the entire process that reporting is. Reporting can be as traumatic as being raped, and survivors need support through the whole process. What else can you do? If you need to find the statute of limitations on reporting sexual assault in your state, you can find information on the victimsofcrime.org website. In Virginia, there are no statutes of limitations on reporting. You can report at any time. Also, our prior governor, Tim Kaine, has put in force executive orders that state a survivor of violence can go to an emergency room and request a PERC exam, that is a physical evidence recovery kit, without having to report to police and that the state will store the evidence until the survivor is ready to report. As evidence needs to be retrieved from the body, usually within 72 hours, this order allows survivors to have evidence collected but still have time to report. Other places you can find information on laws in Virginia is the Department of Criminal Justice Services website at dcjs.virginia.gov. To find the center closest to you, you can call the Virginia Family Violence and Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-838-8238.
That is the Virginia Family Violence and Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-838-8238. B-Word is produced by Carol Olson in the studios of WRIRLP 97.3 FM. To hear the past shows, go to thevword.us. To support independent radio, learn, volunteer, or donate, go to WRIR.org.